You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We will be in verse uh, 20 this morning, in verse 21 in two weeks. More on that in just a minute. It's the passage that uh, uh, Taryn Mays just read for us. And just as a wonderful side note, it's just really fitting that Taryn read that passage for us this morning on parenting. If you don't know Taryn, she uh, oversees multiple ministries here at our church. She's just a treasure here uh, at Citizens Church. We, we would not be who we are without her. Uh, and I don't want to tell her story or at least all of her story, but um, after a long season of faithful waiting, Taryn shared about a month ago that she's pregnant. And her and her husband, Bobby, are expecting a little girl in December. They told me if it was a boy, they were going to name it Jamin, but it was out of their hands, so it's a daughter. See how I made that about me? I'm so sorry, Taryn, that I made that about me. Uh, but look, we just could not be more excited with you and, and happy for you, friend. So we love you. We took a turn in the book of Colossians uh, last week, and, and so the conversation is still, if you remember, if, if we can hold together about two months of being in chapter three together. Chapter three is telling us that as those who are loved by Jesus, we will be changed, but not just any change, but we'll be changed to look like Jesus. And that change uh, has now made its way into the home. The context now is the home and and how following Jesus is going to change who we are in the home. And and so we said last week, uh, just an observation that where this change starts, the first place of application for us is in the home. And the reason why, the challenging reason why. The encouraging in some ways reason why is that the home is often the version of us that's most unfiltered. And it's that unfiltered version of us that Jesus wants to change and wants to shape and wants to begin molding. And, and in the home, often that's the version of us that's most messy. And in the home, that's the version of us, whether that's in the home in our marriages or in the home as parents or in the home as children or in the home as roommates. Those closest to us have the most consistent eyes on us typically see the worst of us. And that's not to say that we're defined by our worst selves or even defined by our worst moments. We've been given a new identity by Jesus that that defines us. Uh, But as Jesus is changing us, when it comes to the change he wants to bring in our lives, that includes and often starts with who we are in the home because that's the most honest picture of us often. And if you want more on that, you can catch the podcast from last Sunday if you missed it. Last week, we talked extensively on what that meant for marriage. This morning, we'll talk about the child-parent relationship. And we're going to take a week on verse 20 and then another week on verse 21. And, And these verses are short, and I know that, but the truths in these verses are thick. And we are a church that have many parents in it, many young parents in it, many uh, parents who are first-generation Christians. So these are worth uh, digging in. So this morning will be the wisdom from verse 20 about the parent-child relationship in two weeks from now. Next week, I am out. John Hall will be preaching. He did a wonderful job uh, preaching a few weeks ago. And the problem when you do a wonderful job preaching is you get asked to preach again. And so John's going to be preaching next week. And then the first Sunday in August will be in verse 21, looking at just the very countercultural and very helpful and very important picture of who God calls men specifically to be in the home. The, the presence that God uh, instructs for men to be in the home. It's in, well, I can't preach that sermon yet. So this morning will be in verse 20. There are, I, I want to start by just naming. There are two challenges, probably more than that, but two that I want to name. Two challenges that come with talking about parenting right now. 
The first challenge is that the Bible is going to describe for us what mom and dad should look like. Uh, and maybe you are a parent, and what that means is you're going to hear mostly in your mind ways that you fall short or ways that you think that you're failing. And that's a very natural reaction for parents when they hear about parenting, to just hear it through the lens of their, all of their either actual or perceived failures. And that's happening right in the middle of a pandemic that has made ch- parenting especially challenging. And all the parents in the room said, that wasn't loud enough. Half of you were lying. Okay. It's stress is up. Patience is low. Uh, for us, w- w- when, when the uh, quarantine first happened, when the world first started shutting down, we didn't really know what to do. So we were just trying to come up with new stuff. So we went and bought a trampoline and that was helpful for about a month. And now I'm the only one who uses it. And that's just because I'm outside hiding from my family, right? So it's been a unique, challenging season. I I don't know that anyone, because of all that's been disrupted and because patience has been so thin, I don't know that anyone would say, look, you know, I want to to present to you the last four months of my parenting uh, as the best four months of parenting in my history as a parent. I don't think anyone... Would, would say that. And so because of that, capacity is low, emotion is thin. Many of you just got the news this week that they're delaying school opening or even moving to only on a virtual learning, and that just feels really overwhelming. And all of that to say, in this uniquely challenging parenting season and parenting being the challenge that it already is, regardless of if there's a pandemic or not, there's a real chance that the takeaway for the parents this morning is guilt and shame. And that's our first challenge. The second challenge is that the Bible is going to describe for us what a mom and dad should look like and what you will hear, and this is true for you whether you're a parent or not, what many of you will hear is you will hear a reminder of what you didn't have growing up. And we'll talk more on this in two weeks, but whether you are young or old, there's a a real potential that a lot of this strikes pain for you not because of the parent you feel like you're failing to be, because maybe you're not a parent at all, but it strikes pain for you because of the parents that you didn't have or the ways your parents failed you. And so you'd give anything for mom and dad to be what's being described here, or you'd give anything for them to at least care about what's being described here, and they weren't. And the word mom or the word dad or collectively together the word mom and dad is steeped in a painful reminder of what should have been for you and wasn't. So there's a real chance that the loudest takeaway for you this morning is grief over what should have been true for you growing up that wasn't true for you growing up. Or maybe, look, maybe you're doing this all by yourself. Maybe you're a single mom, maybe you're a single dad, and much of this will be a reminder of what's missing for you. And so look, both this week and in two weeks, we can't walk this road with this passage without stepping on our own imperfections. And we can't walk this road with this passage without stepping on our own pain. And so we need to be reminded of something before we start. And what we need is the reminder that we actually get in the letter. Um, Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 is not the first conversation that this letter has with us about a parent. The first parent that we're introduced to in the book of Colossians is not the parent that maybe I feel like I'm failing to be. It's not the parent that maybe failed me on earth. The first parent we're introduced in this book is the father we have in heaven who never fails. In chapter 1, Paul starts in verse 2. He says, grace and peace from God our Father. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 12 of verse 1, he says, giving thanks to the Father who rescued us, who redeemed us, who transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And then in chapter 3, just three verses before the verse that we're in this morning, it says, in all things do them in the name of Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father. The letter is written in a way 
that we would hear God's instruction about parenting, but we would hear it in the context of remembering that God is our Father in heaven, a perfect Father in heaven, a Father who uh, covers our failures, and a Father who can heal our wounds. Praise God. Uh, A Father... uh, who is God in heaven. And the reason why Paul starts that way is it calls your heart and it calls your mind to remember that we have a perfect heavenly father who never yells at you, has never abandoned you, never weaponizes your weaknesses against you. He never takes advantage of you. He always has time for you. He delights in you. He loves you so much. He gave his only son that you might be welcomed as his own child into his forever family. That's God, our father in heaven. May that, may be, If I could ask one thing of the Spirit that he would just do in our hearts, may that be the loudest takeaway this morning. That despite your failures, despite the ways you've been failed, you have a Father in heaven who covers failures and heals wounds. He did not bring you here this morning to lead you into despair. He did not bring you here this morning to lead you into regret. He didn't bring you here this morning to lead you into shame or guilt or sorrow. He is good to you which means he has good for you because he is a good father. Chapter three, verse 20. We'll spend the rest of our time in this verse. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Okay, who is this passage instructive to? Children. Uh, It's addressed to children. So obviously it offers instruction to children, but it's also instructive for parents. So to children, it says this. It says, children, God gave you a mom and a dad who are gonna lay a path for you that leads to Jesus. They can't make you walk that path, but they're gonna lay a path and invite you to walk a path that leads to Jesus. And so it assumes about mom and dad, and I know this isn't everyone's reality. It assumes about mom and dad that they love the Lord and they are imperfectly but faithfully trying to teach you, child, about God and to love you like God loves you, that you might build your life around him. And and, and I believe it kind of has predominantly in mind children that are still in the home. So for us, that would mean 18 and, and, and under relatively. And so look, if you are a teenager in the room uh, or watching from home, uh, if you're a child, um, you have a mom and dad who love you and who are trying to be this in your life, to lead you to the Lord, to lead you in a life that pleases Jesus. And I know this, I know that it's natural at that age, teenager, elementary, middle school, it's really natural at that age to be bothered by some of that, for sure to be bothered by mom and dad's rules, to be bothered by mom and dad's voice in the home. Uh, And maybe that amounts to a lot of eye rolling, right? Not in front of them, of course. Uh, But one day, one day, just spoiler alert, if you have these parents that have you here that love the Lord, not perfectly, but faithfully, one day you'll realize something that God would have you realize today, that mom and dad are a gift to you from God. That mom and dad are a gift from a God who loves you and who placed two people who love the Lord in your life, who are imperfect, with struggles of their own, who are largely doing the best they can with where they are, that in and through them you would see God, an imperfect picture of a perfect God, that you would see in their sacrifice God's sacrifice for you, that you would see in their voice that God speaks to you, that you would see in their presence, at your games, at your bedside, that God is present with you. And look, I know that at 16 or maybe at 14 or maybe at 12, I don't expect you to believe that, but my young friend, 
the earlier in life you realize that, the more benefit that you will gain from mom and dad's presence in your life. Many in the room don't discover that until they're in their late 20s and early 30s and life has beaten off of them that assumption that we know everything uh, and that we know better than everyone else. And at one point, what happens in your life is those eye rolls that you offered to mom and dad, those eyes fills with, with tears of gratitude for who mom and dad were to you. And so the Bible would have you children respect them and obey them and believe that God is using them in your life in ways that maybe you don't yet understand. Parents, it says children to obey. Why? It's instructive for children. It's also instructive for parents it tells children to obey parents because it pleases the Lord. And there is such a weighty assumption to that. It assumes that what you ask of your children, it assumes that where you're leading your children, it assumes that the path that you're laying, that you want your children to walk, is one that pleases the Lord, that leads to a life that pleases the Lord. It can't mean anything other than that, right? It, it can't mean children obey your parents even if your parents ask you to sin because that wouldn't please the Lord. So it assumes that mom and dad in the home or mom in the home, whoever has given their life to Jesus is being changed by Jesus. It assumes that what they're calling their children into is that which will please the Lord, into lives that please the Lord. So I'm, I'm a dad before I'm a pastor. I'm a dad. I've got three kids. I read this. And if you read this instruction and turn it into a question, the question I have for myself is this, is what I'm asking of my children my influence in the life of my children, my rules, my presence, is it pointing them towards what pleases the Lord? If they were to walk down the path my parenting is trying to lay, would it end up in them being someone who pleases the Lord, a life that pleases the Lord? But what does that look like? It's an important question. We need to step outside of the book of Colossians to, to get a fuller answer. The book of Proverbs combined with maybe Deuteronomy 6 is the most um, clear instruction on parenting in all the Bible. And you could summarize it like this. Parenting is raising children who fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is living in God's world, in God's way. And that leads to flourishing. So raising children who, who fear the Lord are children who become adults who live in God's world, in God's way, in a way that reflects the heart of God and in a way that follows Jesus through God's world. And so the home... The home is to reflect the reality of God in the world so that when they leave the home, they live wisely and righteously in God's world. And if you pack that into a short phrase, that phrase is teaching them to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is awe. The fear of the Lord is wonder. It's sacred reverence for who God is. It's not being scared of God the way that we would, uh, we would hear it maybe, but acknowledging in humble reverence that God is the point of life and that I am living in God's world. And so the parenting that pleases the Lord teaches children to fear the Lord. You could think of it this way. Uh, you are teaching your kids to fear. You didn't teach your kids, uh, you didn't introduce fear into their life. Fear is part of living in a broken world, but you are shaping what your children fear, whether we know it or not, and we are shaping what they fear most. And there is a relationship between what we are shaping our children to fear most and what they will then find salvation in or how they will then define salvation. Let me, let me make the point in a way that includes all of us and I hope will be helpful for it. So, so whether you're a parent or not, you could think of it this way. This was true 
in your home growing up. So think with me to your house. Think with me to your childhood, what that looked like, who mom and dad were. They taught you to fear something. And and most homes have one thing that they teach their children to most fear. So for some homes, that meant teaching you to fear other people's opinions. And what matters most is how the family appears to others and how we project to fit into society, right? And that came out in rules, spoken or unspoken, about how we look when we leave the house and how we act in public. And you got in trouble, not necessarily for what didn't please God, but you got in trouble what didn't fit the family image. And so what became the weightiest, what mattered most, was offering a projection of success, a projection of having it all together, a projection of a perfect, clean, maybe church-going family. And maybe in reality, there was a lot of dysfunction in the home that you weren't allowed to talk about, or a lot of secrets in the home, or a lot of conflict in the home, uh, and no one was allowed to talk to me. You were taught to fear people finding out that you weren't as clean. You were taught to fear people finding out you weren't as together, you weren't as picture-perfect as what mom and dad worked so hard to get the family to fake. So salvation, then, is all about managing people's perception. Salvation is all about success, which left no room for failure in your life and no room for failure in your home, and that sent you into a world where you didn't believe you could be honest about your own brokenness. Sent you into a world where you didn't believe you could be honest about your own limitations and your own sin, and even today, maybe, you feel you have to project strength and project perfection to get acceptance or to live a life that really matters. For some, you were taught to fear pain and what you were taught to most fear in your home was pain and everything in life could hurt you and being sad or being disappointed or being filled with negative emotions is life's nightmare and being safe and happy was life's highest good so mom and dad tried to build a life for you that was free of pain and that meant when you were young never telling you no giving you everything that you wanted. And when you grew older, it was doing everything they could to create a pain-free existence for you. Wouldn't let you fail. Always rescued you from you. And maybe they used money in your, in your relationship to buy peace from you. And when you were sad, or when you were anxious, or when you felt lost, or when you felt angry, they tried to avoid your negative emotions by explaining them away by making them your fault, by dismissing them. When what children need are not parents who make their negative emotions go away, not parents who walk around them, but parents who walk with their children through them because life is filled with them. And what matters most in that home is comfort and ease. And what I fear most is pain. So salvation is about avoiding reality because life is filled with pain. And from that home, you were sent out into the world where you were unprepared for rejection and you were unprepared for loss and you were unprepared for difficulty, sent into a world filled with suffering from a home that tried to pretend it didn't exist and protect you from all of it. For some, you were taught to fear those who are not like you. And the greatest good in life is being like us, looking like our family being situated in society where our family is situated, voting the way that we vote, believing the way we believe. And so there is an us and then there's a them. And so salvation is never being challenged that we are not the standard for what a human should be and those not like us are not the enemy we want to make them. And sent into a world filled with people not like you and instead of giving you the tools of peace, 
like love and empathy, you were given weapons of division like judgment and entitlement. For some, you were taught to fear your parents. For some, you were taught to fear mom and dad. And mom and dad or mom or dad were unstable, they were unsafe, they were unapproachable in the home, and you grew up fearing what would set them off, and they always changed the rules on you. Salvation for you was never upsetting. Salvation for you was never disappointing. Salvation for you was always maintaining peace because all you wanted was a home that felt like home and all you wanted was a mom and a dad that didn't feel like your siblings or a mom and a dad that didn't feel like your children. And you were never sent out into the world by mom and dad because they want you forever tethered to their needs and they want you forever tethered to their unhealth. And so leaving home for you was not a send off, it was a separation. And I'm so sorry, I don't know that pain. You were taught to fear something in your home. And I know I didn't describe every home, I know I didn't tell every story, some never knew mom or dad, so even in their absence, they taught you to fear most being abandoned again in life, like you were abandoned by them. And if any of that was your home, what has had to happen for you, friend, if any of that was your home, what your story, the way that the gospel has intertwined into your story is it has brought you into the family of God. And as the gospel of Jesus has taken over your life, learning how to live in the family of God has meant unlearning how you lived in the family growing up. And that's not to say there's no grace for your mom and your dad. I'm not saying that at all. It's not to say everything wrong in your life is their fault or all of their imperfections have determined who you are. It's simply to say that you learned to fear something most in your home. And for many of you, it wasn't the Lord. What a good time for us to remember that we have a heavenly father who covers our wounds and a heavenly father who heals our hurts and a heavenly father who is rescuing his children from all kinds of earthly homes. Praise God. There's a home I didn't describe. Some of you grew up in a home where you were taught to fear the Lord. And the greatest good in life is knowing and being known by a holy, beautiful God. And mom and dad were not perfect, but the weightiest reality in the home is that God exists and you were made for life with him and life only matters and life only has joy and life beyond this life is only possible with him and we're separated from him, but our deepest need is for him. So salvation is Jesus. Greatest hope in life is to be loved by Jesus. Salvation is to know that he died for me and he rose and he invites me to know him and to orient my life around him and to hold on to him means I can face anything in life. To have him to be covered in his blood means that I have a firm foundation to stand on and can be sent out into the world having Jesus, which is everything I need. And look, <laughs> I don't have to fear other people's opinions and I don't have to fear failure and I don't have to fear being broken or imperfect or being found out because salvation is not about faking perfection. Salvation is about being broken and loved at the same time by a holy God who loves me and I can live honestly before him because he saved me where I was and he loves me as I am. I don't have to fear pain. I don't enjoy it. I don't seek it out. I don't welcome it. But when it comes, not if, but when it comes, I have a God who knows what it's like to hurt. And I have, no, what it, have a God who knows what it's like to face painful realities. And so I follow a God and hold on to a Jesus who speaks meaning and purpose over all of my life. And that includes my pain. I don't have to fear other people. 
I don't have to fear those who are not like me. I don't have to fear those who are different from me because I've been saved and loved by a God who is very different from me and has now deployed me in his world to honor his image and to love not along lines of similarity, but to love as one who was first loved by God when I was his enemy. So the world is not an us and a them. The world is me who has received grace and everyone else that I can offer that grace to. In the home that raises children to fear the Lord, the mom and dad who imperfectly but faithfully hold up Jesus to their children as the thing most worthy of treasure and most worthy of affection and worthy of all of our obedience who stand on the truth of who God is, who offer mercy and love and care, they have a shot. If God intervenes, they have a shot of sending their kids out to live lives that please the Lord, can face any fear with confidence and live lives of love and peace. Parents, what are you teaching your children to fear? What are you teaching them to fear most? Failure, pain, the opinions of others, those who aren't like us? Or are you teaching them to fear the Lord? The parenting that pleases the Lord and blesses children is the parenting that creates a home that teaches children to fear the Lord. So what does that mean? What does that look like? I think about this a lot as a parent and I have landed on two words that I think capture it. Both start with the same letter because that's how God made me. Um, The two words are this, discipline and delight. Parenting that fears the Lord is parenting that is a combination of discipline and delight. Discipline, you have authority over your children, but it's not your authority, it's authority that's, that's borrowed. It's been gifted to you by God. And so discipline is when you use your authority in the home in a way that reflects what's true about God. You use your authority, you have rules, and you have language that reflect God's character. And so at the, ver- at the very base level, here's what it means. It means that your children are not allowed to act like God in the home. They're not allowed to act like the parents in the home. When they leave your home, they will not control the world. So before they are sent out into the world, they can't control your home or they'll have to unlearn that in order to survive. Often we give children lots of authority in the home at a young age. And then as they grow older, we try and buy it back or we try and shrink life around them. And it doesn't work like that. So as a church of a lot of families with young children from a young age, what needs to be clear in the home is that mom and dad are in charge. Life with God is about adjusting to God, his will and his ways. And if mom and dad are always adjusting to the child, the child will grow up and expect that God will do the same. And what happens is as an adult, when they throw a fit against God, it never goes well. And God doesn't move, he always wins. So God has given us an authority to differentiate ourselves from our children that we might represent his holy character. And that begins by representing the authority and leadership he's given us over our children. In the home, we make the rules. In the home, we set the tone. In the home, we enforce the boundaries. But that authority always has a child's heart in mind, not just their behavior. We don't want good behavior. We want a heart that fears the Lord. And so discipline is every act, it's not just corrective, it's formative. It's every act that invites the child to turn their heart towards God. 
And so discipline is praying before the meal, that their heart hopefully turns to say, God, we're grateful to all that you give us, right? Discipline is uh, incorrection, taking time to talk about their heart, to use the language that God uses of his holiness and sin and the need for forgiveness in hopes that they would see their need for a savior. It's using the language that God has given us to talk about beauty and justice and righteousness in the world. And, And hear me, you cannot make them care. You can't can't control their heart, but you can in your discipline over and again show them what you most care about for their life. I shared this story a couple years ago uh, during a season in high school. Uh, I was, when I was in high school, uh, I was not walking with the Lord. Uh, I was pretending to, uh, but at school and in certain groups, I was a um, completely different person than who I was at home or who I was at church. I was a believer, uh, and so I was just living a, a duplicitous life. This came to a head before my junior year, a few weeks before school started. I had just made uh, varsity on the football team. Uh, it was a really small school. That's why that happened. Uh, and uh, I, had, I had made some mistakes. That's, that's stating it cleaner than it actually was. I had sinned uh, against my mom and dad. I would sinned against God. So my mom and dad, they sat me down and had a calm, disciplined conversation with me. And the conversation was one that we'd had countless times. God is most important in life. Following Jesus is life's greatest good. And at one point in the conversation, they said they were considering making a school change for me and just to to get me into a different environment. And I was so upset. And I looked straight at my dad because I knew he cared. And I said, Dad, what about football? I just made varsity. Where are they going to find another third-string linebacker? I mean, it's (laughs) going to hurt the team if I'm not there. And with tender eyes and a quiet voice, I'll never forget it. He quoted Mark 8, and he said, what profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul. And I heard it. I didn't hear it as a threat. I didn't hear that as judgment. I heard it as truth. I heard it as fear of the Lord. I heard it as gracious discipline reminding me this is God's world, and Jesus is life's point, and if I get everything and miss Jesus, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And it was a reminder to fear the Lord and what my home growing up, what was weightiest in my home was fearing the Lord, loving Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard Mark 8 in my head since then from my dad's voice. What profits a man to gain the world and lose his soul? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in my head and in my heart since leaving home. And parents, discipline is about creating a home through your rules and your words and your passions that reflects what is true about God and aims at the heart of the child and wants that heart to love Jesus more than anything else. You can't control that, but you can build the path that you pray by God's grace they walk. It's discipline and it's delight. Delighting in your children is celebrating them, gushing over them. And, and, and delight is, is two things, or for two reasons. We delight in them just for being them. Delight in them that they are yours. Friends, what a joy that someone on this earth calls you dad. What a joy that someone on this earth calls you mom. Like, they need to know that as they are, your children are precious. And as they are, they are valuable. They need to know that your love and your joy over them is not predicated on a single thing other than that they are your child. They need to hear that from you 
over and again, over and again, especially in seasons of, of lots of correction. They need to hear it. Delight is also, too, delight is knowing the unique way that God has made them, being able to see in their life how God has wired them, seeing just a glimpse. You're gonna see it before they do in their life, seeing a glimpse of maybe how God has uniquely started to posture and position them to be used by God in God's world for God's glory. There's a unique way God has made them and parents, mom and dad, you speak that over them. You see that and say something about it because not everything in your child needs to be corrected. Some things in your child need to be cultivated. And as parents, we don't wanna crush what God wants us to cultivate. So I have, uh, I have three children. Uh, I've got a child who is good with words. Um, God has given him a gift to communicate. God's given him a gift to, uh, to be able to name his emotions. He feels, he's observant. Last Sunday, I am in my room at 8.30. It's Sunday morning. I wanna be at church in 30 minutes and I'm in my room working on the sermon still. I woke up, I felt like God wanted me to change some things. I felt like I needed to, to clear some things up. So I am reading and I am typing and my son walks in and he says, Dad, it's 8.30. And I said, yep. And he said, are you working on your sermon? And I said, yes. And he said, whoa, talk about a time crunch. <laughs> and I said, get out of here. <laughs> but he's observant and he's quick with words. And I just believe God wired him that way for a glorious purpose. And it's between him and God what that looks like, but you better believe I'm rooting for him. And I am delighting that God made him that way. And I wanna play my role in shaping that. I have a child who's strong and she is loud and she is funny and she feels deeply and she is savvy in the best way, just has street smarts. You didn't have to teach her. The other day she walks out of the house, she's carrying a stack of papers. It's about 10 pieces of paper. And I said, baby, what are you doing? And she said, I'm gonna go around the neighborhood and put these pieces of paper in our neighbor's mailbox. And I said, okay, can I see them? And it was about 10 pieces of paper and each of them said lost puppy on it. That's what was written. And she was gonna go spread those around the neighborhood. Here's what you need to know. We didn't lose a puppy. <laughs> we don't have a puppy. Her plan was if anyone in the neighborhood happens to find a puppy, <laughs> they would bring it to her, which I think is the most brilliant and shady plan to get a free dog I've ever heard. <laughs> I have 50 more stories about her like that. And there's something there. There's something there. It's cute. Um, but there's something there of, of intelligence and there's something there of savvy that God gave her and it's between her and God what that turns into, but you better believe I'm rooting for her, speaking that to her. I wanna play my role in shaping that and, and, and then delighting in it along the way. I've got another one, my youngest, who is just natural joy. Uh, even when she cries, she's still kind of happy and she brings joy to the home. She can, uh, at a really young age, she can read the room and she can feel when things are sad or she can feel when things are tense. And, and when things are sad or when things are tense, she fights for smiles. She just does, she fights for joy. And, 
And there's something there. There's a gift there. There's a wiring there that's unique to her. And it's between her and God what that looks like. But you better believe I'm rooting for her and speaking those things to her and and delighting in her. And I want to play my role in shaping that. So parents, it's discipline. It's also delight. And so often, as parents, we delight in our kids only in past tense. We remember back to when they were younger and delight in what we loved about them when they were younger and delight in what was true about them then. But the delight that's going to shape them, the delight that's going to fill their soul with courage is the present tense delight that says, this is what I delight in about you now and the future dreaming of what God wants to do in their life and your delight directing that. And it's a balance of both, fearing the Lord, laying a path for your children to walk that lead to lives that fear the Lord is a combination of discipline and delight. Would you see this with me? You have to have both and they have to be balanced. If it's all delight and no discipline, and if we never talk about God, if we never discipline around the heart of God, if they get to make every decision for themselves, if they control the home with their fits, if they control the home with their attitude, then they have authority over their life they don't know what to do with and they're not ready for and they will be sent out into God's world believing it's really theirs and it's not. But if it's just discipline and no delight, if it's just rules and it's just correction and it's just here's what God wants you to do that you're not doing, they will believe everything is wrong with them and everything needs to change, right? And not just some things, but everything and nothing deserves to be celebrated. And then they will be sent into God's world believing they are irreparably broken and God is perpetually angry with them. But together... Discipline and delight together says there's a way to live in God's world, a God who matters most in the world, and a God that you, child, matter to, who wants life with you through Jesus, teaching them to fear the Lord. That's not an equation for the perfect kid. We cannot control God has to save. We cannot control our kids' hearts. We have to uh, lay the path that leads to a life that pleases the Lord and beg that God in his grace would ignite in their heart that they would walk down that path. That they would see their need for God. That they would see God's joy in them. And by God's grace, we, those of us who are parents, would orient their home around Jesus, the great treasure, and that we would, in all of our words, in all of our passions, in all of our hopes and dreams, would be pointing our children to what our treasure is, which is Jesus. What a weight. What a glorious weight. There'll be much more to say when we get to 21, but let me end this morning with where we begin. The reality over all that, the reality over all that is that whoever you are, And whatever that may be churned up for you that perhaps you were unprepared for or wherever maybe your mind went to places of regret or places of pain, there is a Father in heaven who covers our failures, a Father in heaven who heals our wounds, a Father who uses our relationships, who uses our experiences to discipline us, to form us that we might love him most, and a Father who delights in us. Friend, parent or not, come from a broken home or a healthy one, wherever you are, you have a God in heaven, look right at me, who delights in you. He delights in you. Psalm eighteen nineteen says, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted 
in me. And because of his delight in you, friend, he saved you, is changing you, welcoming you into a family, welcoming you as his child, that he might lavish his love, his changing, transformative love on you. And, and, and he delights in you in the same way I can have conversations about my kids delighting in them because they're mine or delighting in them because of the ways that God has uniquely wired them. Do you know he has the conversation about you, can say the same things about you, loves you just because you belong to him through Jesus and delights in the things that are unique to you that he's shaping even now and cultivating even now that you might see how he wants to deploy you in his world to live a life of love and peace. He loves you. He is good to you, has good for you because he is your good father in heaven. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that truth. Once again, holy God, once again, Father in heaven who sees all and knows all and is confused about nothing. I find myself desperate for you to take your word inadequately delivered and appropriate it faithfully into the hearts of your children in this room. To heal wounds, God. To cover failures. You know, this all exists, Lord. The, the, those of us who who have children, what you're doing in and through those relationships in our heart are all of the things that we want and hope and dream take place in the hearts of our children. You're actively working that we might fear you, that we might see our need for you, Lord God, that we might love you as one who disciplines us and delights in us. We thank you, God. We love you, God. So would you, would you take this, Lord, by your spirit as one who cares even more for this church than I do, God? And would this sermon materialize into conversations between moms and dads, conversations between children and parents? Would this sermon materialize into conversations of those who are longing even for what they don't have or sorrowful over what they didn't have? And would that lead, Lord, to the endless amount of grace and healing that you offer by your hand, Lord. And I do pray, God, I just pray for our church and I pray for the families in our church. May we be, Lord, those families with children. May we be homes that are beacons, God. May we be homes that at the very core of who we are, treasure Jesus. Fear you, Lord. Would you just save over and again the children in this church that by your grace, Lord, they would walk down paths that faithful mom and dad have laid, that they might live a life that pleases you and give us grace for our failures. It's hard work. It's worth it because you're worth it. Amen.